Dr. DM, a podcast where three pseudo-professional D&D players take questions from game masters to help them plot out their stories and plot against their parties. The doctors are in. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, do another roll college because, again, everyone probably doesn't know who we are all no. yet. I'm yes. Tasha. I'm Beth. I'm Leanne. Yep. Yay. So now you guys can try to hopefully tell us apart. Not that I don't think we've gotten any like comments saying that we can't hear us apart. So I don't think we've gotten any comments, Beth. Yeah. True, but you know, hedge hedge how you explain it. You know, round off those harsh corners. Um, well, we can try to say each other's names more often. We can, Beth. Yeah. Sure, we can. Tasha. Leanne. Um, yes, we can, Leanne. Tasha, how are you this morning, Tasha? <laughs> oh no, okay, no. no. No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry if my recording setup sounds a little echoey. Um, I'm in a new location and in the process of doing new location things. <laughs> so, yay. yay! Congrats! Mm-hmm. Yes, much excitement. <laughs> you're you're camping. I'm sitting in a camping chair. Oh. I didn't say it was camping. Oh. Um, it's essentially the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she only has, like, granola bars, bottled water, and a sleeping bag. Uh, It's an air mattress, but yeah. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Advanced sleeping bag. Ooh. Ooh, fancy. Um, But it is definitely a camping air mattress. Like, it's not one of, like, the really big, poofy ones. You will get your upgrade soon. Don't Mm -hmm. worry. Yeah, eventually we'll get there. All right, folks. Today I have two questions for you from our email. Uh, which for our lovely listeners is deardoctordm at gmail.com. But before we get to those, I have an icebreaker. What is your favorite game setting or world to play in and why? Um, Exandria. That's fair. It reminds me a lot of 4.0 in the way that, that it's limited on the number of gods. And since the world is quote unquote newer... There's, um, it's easier for me to learn the lore from the ground up versus something like Faerun, which has been around for eons. And so there's a lot of like lore revolving around that for me to learn. So I know the one for Exandria really, really well. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to definitely say similar. I, I really, really love Exandria. Probably would default to that every time. There are aspects of Eberron that I really, really like, but their deity system sucks. So, uh, <laughs> I I just kind of like, I want like some sort of future Exandria where I can have all this stuff from uh, Eberron and then just have Exandria like everything else on top of that. Like, I want all the, the you know, cities and Warforge and stuff. Like, you can do that. You can just make Exandria in the future. Yeah, I'm just I should I should do that more. I also am just a generic huge fan of modern fantasy, like of of uh, urban fantasy. Mm, that's fair. Um I don't have as much experience as you two with different worlds. I've only ever played in Faerun, Exandria, and then my friend DMs like made up worlds that they created themselves. But of the two official ones I've played in, Exandria is definitely my favorite for all the same reasons that Beth said. It's much more limited because it's newer, and so there isn't as much lore or information that comes out. On top of that, there's a very convenient Twitch show that allows you to learn as you watch. 
and uh, Mercer and his team are both very good at explaining what's going on with their world building, and it makes it easier to understand. Most of all, because it's limited, it's also easier to manipulate because I don't have to worry about a bunch of other information. You know, they, they say you don't know what you don't know, and I feel that really hard with things like Faerun because mm. it's so big and expansive. But with Exandria, I know exactly what I don't know because it's not in the book, and then I can... I can leave that book and do whatever I want to it. Yeah, yeah, because there, there are sections of Exandria that are unexplored, and that's not as true for other play worlds, because those right. have modules and things based around them. Now, I do play and run a Faerun game that has, like, nothing to do with Faerun. I just snapped up the map yeah. and then kind of made it up as I went, because Same. the map is convenient and everyone recognizes it, and... um. And then I did the 100 years in the future thing, except since Faerun has such a massive timeline, I just said 100 years in the future. I didn't give him years. I'm still not going to give him years because that would have to align them with the actual Faerun timeline. And I'm not doing that. So everything is in 100 years ago or 10 days ago or whatever. There's no dates. Smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of very, very McElroy-esque. Yes. Similar <laughs> yeah, in that for style. Sure. Um, not quite as sci-fi. I, I, I'm sticking more Eberon sci-fi and not floating science sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, I think Griffin went a little off the rails. Literally. <laughs> it was uh, starting arc two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, I, the first five games I played were all set in Neverwinter and the surrounding area. So after that, I was just sick of Faerun to begin mm. with. Yeah, well, Neverwinter is kind of a hard place to start. It's easier to start in Baldur's Gate. Or along the other coast. Or the well, other... tell my college DM that. Sorry, I can't help you. Uh-huh. I was not your college DM. My... No, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> I wish you were. All right. Shall we get into questions mm-hmm. since we don't have a lot of time yes. today? Okay. Uh, so we have two questions. They both are from different folks I am going to go find the names of because I forgot. But they both have to do with war. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first appointment. So I have a question for you, pseudo-professional D&D wizards. They called us wizards. I like like wizards. I like that. My players have actively been encouraging and looking forward to participating in a war in our campaign. While I have been DMing for a year now and have some experience with different scenarios, I have absolutely no idea how to go about planning and implementing a war in my D&D campaign. Do you have any advice on where to get started? What kind of sessions or missions I should have for them? Or how to handle this in general? My gut instinct says to keep the player-character interaction with open warfare minimal. But I really need help with this. I have no idea how to even begin planning sessions in a freaking war. Your gut instinct's correct. Don't don't do that. Not very often. Mm-hmm. You can do it once in a while, but it's not going to be your main like your main like campaign style. Mm-hmm. So I am currently actually in a campaign that is in the middle of a war, sort of. It's in the middle of a siege, actually. Um, it's not D&D. I lied. It's Pathfinder. But it, mm. semantics. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so for these kinds of setups, you're going to need to let them um, do other missions that pertain to helping out in the war. You're basically always going to have, like, in-writing bad guys. Like, whenever you just need a new fight, you're like, cool, a random fight, they run into a scouting party of the enemy. It's really easy. Now, 
the issue occurs if you don't know which side your heroes are on. So you need to have a, a war party be an established evil party if you want them to be on the established good guy side. And then you can start dealing with the gray areas of war later on once they've picked a side. Because it's going to be really hard for you if they're trying to play both sides against each other. And that's that's tricky for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it's for more like protagonist-antagonist side, I think, is a good... And then, I mean, if they're actively looking for it, you won't have the Mercer problem of, hey, here's a cool war camp, whoa! <laughs> I guess we're not doing that now. Yeah. I think a, a lot of this, for me, as a, a player, would probably come down to atmosphere more than actual, mm. like, campaign tactics. Mm -hmm. Tasha, you actually did this really well with the big finale of your game a couple mm. months ago. Oh my god, was that in yeah. May? Yes. Jesus. Okay, well, you did this really well. Um, you had our normal big fight, uh, with which was, you know, parties versus mm -hmm. bad guys. But every so often, you had something happen where you told us something that was happening just outside of our party bubble that reminded us that we were in a larger scope mm -hmm. battle. So we were on, let's say, maybe 50 squares of a map that was, you know, a thousand squares big. And you focused on our 50 so we could move around. But you told us about, like, oh, the dragon flew overhead. Or a spear narrowly avoids your face and you're not quite sure where it came from because it came from a different battle that was happening. Yeah, or, or um, so I think because mine was in the middle of a city, I had, like, buildings fall in the distance that weren't you weren't part of. I had, you know, someone just run through walls um, because, you know, magical and someone can turn into a T-Rex or something. So... <laughs> I think another way to really like hammer that home is to think about the fight scenes in movies, specifically Lord of the mm. Rings. The final battle follows the main characters, but you see the external battle when you're when you're watching mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, so things that are happening in a different area are affecting the folks on the screen. For example, like if a boulder is thrown over them and nearly misses them, it might hit the ground nearby and the debris from the impact might actually hit them and you can roll for minor debris damage. Yeah. I like it's not an, a direct attack, so it can't really avoid it. Like a cannon blast from a comrade goes off in like round four, um, giving everybody within 15 feet ringing ears mm -hmm. or force damage or something. Yeah, I would avoid an open battlefield mm -hmm. concept i think like tasha said fighting in the city because that way wherever they're in the city you kind of have a an, a rough idea of what is happening there in the city so like okay we're running over to the outer wall okay so now you know that random rocks can be being lobbed in you know trebuchet style some of them on fire some of them magically iced or whatever and that way you know what, what this encounter area is going to be like. And then you can have them run over to a different part of the city. And this is where, you know, the gate was busted open. And now you know there's going to be random enemy soldiers, like, running around. And so now you know what to do A lot there. of this would be planning for not having your characters involved. And I know that's kind of a, a thing I keep going back to. But make a war timeline that does not involve your party. Yes. At all. Like, uh, and, and you probably have to do this several times. So do, like, a general war timeline. Like, a general, like, hey, this is what you got taught in history class kind of style. And then go into those individual battles and do the same thing uh, for whatever kind of open campaign you want to do. Like, if you want to have those one or two, like, actual open battles. Plan that battle out 
and then just don't play account for your heroes and then they'll screw it up as they go along <laughs> um uh yeah because because they're going to want to come help and if they do want to come help then they can add you know interesting changes to what your war campaign is because if they you know hop in and are like cool we fireball your the other enemy's archmage because we snuck up on them in a pincer maneuver you're like cool that radically changes how the rest of this is going to go and then once they interfere with that element you're going to have to see how that affects how that ripple effects plays out in the rest of your timeline because they're going to do stuff and at the end of your sessions you're basically going to go say how has this changed the timeline and if it has you you rewrite it and if it hasn't then you keep your timeline as, as you go but you need to make sure that you're taking into what they're doing into effects for the future because it's like affecting what your future that you wrote and you have to make sure you keep up with the, with the changes in the future I would also say that those changes are externally well changed by NPCs. You can show the timeline to your characters and to your players by relating what the NPCs right. are doing. Exactly. So if there's a resistance group um, and one of your NPCs is in the resistance group, but the party doesn't know about the resistance group yet and they want to go find somebody oh, well, they're not home. And maybe there's a note on their door that says, oh, you know, back whenever. And every time they try and go see these people, they're not home because they're not actually working. They're being, you know, part of a resistance group. Or even better, if they get caught and now you want the plot to be like, well, where's this person? We have to find them. And that's how they find the resistance group. You can put an arrest notice on the front door of their house. But I would say plan vaguely what your NPCs are doing that directly affect your war plot yeah mm -hmm. that will affect the players and then be willing and able to flex and change that as your players change like, your hey, go back to plot. crit world i think they did a really good job of, of showing a war around a party like matt's done a really good job of sure that they didn't want to interact in with the war as much but they they got dragged into it just because it was there they did now the other thing to think about with this is Star mm. Wars. Play a resistance group that is fighting an evil government, it's out on the outskirts of some kind of other war or fight going on. So your party is like a cell within this resistance movement. And that way you can really focus on what the resistance is doing. And it's the same idea. You still have to plot out what's gonna happen in the future and your your basic battle timeline. Irrelevant of your party members because they are going to change that. So just plan your your timeline regardless of your party and you have to be comfortable with the fact that that your timeline is going mm -hmm. to change so just just be comfortable with the understanding that it, your story is not going to look the same by the end because they're going to change what's going to happen but you need to know certain kinds mm -hmm. of events and as the party does stuff they're going to say things or hint at things or wonder who the bad guy is and stuff like that you know classic party things listen to those because they are seeing things that you might not have set up on purpose, but you did set up that they're, they're perceiving as being set up. So if you take their ideas and then implement them later on in your timeline, next time you rewrite it or whatever, they're going to think that freaking they called it from day one, that they're going to be so excited that they saw this coming, even though it wasn't how you originally planned it. But you're like, oh, no, cool. That idea makes a lot of sense. I really like it. And then you can just incorporate it into your storyline as long as it still fits in with what you have planned. That's good advice for any plot, not just a war plot. Um, being able to be flexible with your plot planning 
with your characters and players in mind and knowing that they have the ability to change everything is huge. I did not plan for one of my characters to become possessed by a magic mirror, but that player rolled a one when they picked up the mirror to hear the prophecy. So then I was like, well, how else would this play out? Cool. You're possessed now. And that drove the rest of the plot. It was not what I was planning. We were on like session number three and boom. Yep. There's the rest of the game. The so rest all of this really would just be so. making uh, encounters that somehow interact with the the games. Uh, at this point, um, besides having those big open scenarios, you're just using them like a guild. They're going to give you quests, and then they have to go do the quests. It, it's going to be a little railroady, but not not too bad. Not too bad because I mean, you can you can give them options on how they're going to resolve this issue. In, in like Star Wars, for example, we know they're building the Death Star. How do we resolve the Death Star? Well, we need the plants. Okay, someone else brought the plants, but now we need to figure out how we're getting there and how we're setting it up. And we need a, a you know, pilot, those kinds of things. There's, there's like options for them to mm -hmm. choose. Like, where do we go? Who do we're going to go ask for help from? So you have other NPCs who can provide them alternate options for a, you know, big, you know, walloping attack on the next you know on the major hub of the bad guys and you can even have them if they're more sneaky characters go be spies mm -hmm. in the enemy kingdom and that can be really stressful because i wouldn't do that all the time but that's a really great way to just because you have no idea what they're going to do over there and you have no idea what you know are they going to get caught how is that going to change the timeline so that really opens the world a little bit for them if they're not in their home turf and they're having to be mm -hmm. sneaky you can also look at mm. I'm, i want to move on to the next appointment because we don't have much time but mm -hmm. um really quick you can also look at games like dragon age i mm -hmm. feel like the first and the third game especially the third game does really well at showing you what your spot in a larger war effort looks like of course in the game you're the leader of that war but you frequently see npcs fighting other battles mm -hmm. nearby especially in the big war scenes but i'm thinking specifically of the scene from dragon age origins where the warden and the party is trying to get into redcliffe castle but there's a siege going on in the in the city so they have to protect the city first and then get to the castle to stop the overall siege but they can't go through the front door so they have to go find a secret passageway which just happens to work you can make all of this like you can make all of these things things that your mm -hmm. party has to roll for. Do they actually protect the city? No? Okay, well, what's the result if they don't protect the city? Uh, do they just charge the front door? Okay, is there more fighting because they have to do that? Or can they roll to find a secret passageway? Can they go and talk to other people in the town that might know more about how to get in? Yeah. Things like that. Like, There's a lot of environmental things, but if you just make a tree and make a branch, like I make a branching plot so that, okay, what are they going to do? Here's their first choice, two branches. At each point on those branches, what is their next choice point? And what did those choices continue to? And just, you know, build yourself a little, a little. And a lot tree. of this will come naturally just because that's it. You're going to flow because that's how stories flow. You're, you'll, you'll know it. It starts to just become something you feel. Second appointment, very similar but slightly different. In my next coming campaign, I have two nations that are constantly at odds with one another, but they have never gone into full-out war. How do I show this with 
in the two nations without being too apparent. One of them is an old elvish culture that is a majarchy where spellcasters have influence over the government. The other is of dwarvish heritage that made grand empires with an old human civilization that died out. They are more equal in their political structure by resorting to democracy while still playing homage to the old monarchy. However, in the past hundred years, both are losing lots of money, having to heavily tax all of their citizens. Any suggestions? Uh, to Venter? Just run with that and make them the bad guy? <laughs> yeah, if you're not familiar with the Dragon Age settings, um, there's an empire called Tevinter that once ruled the entire world, basically, and then very slowly got fought back by another it's... empire. Honestly, yeah, read Roman history. They're, they're <laughs> like evil Rome, but with magic. I mean, I think a good way to show anything... Um, as being like an oppressed area. I don't want to call it oppression because these are games. And if you want to run with more realistic facts and figures and go for it, but just to show general unrest in a city or in a setting, make really dumb shit be illegal and then arrest your characters yeah, for it. That also helps. That shows that there's, you know, a really heavy hand that, that might be, you know, a symptom of a bigger larger societal issue like they are the governments are losing control mm -hmm. over their countries so they're trying to assert more control by yes. making really yeah. dumb stuff illegal and then you can scoop up your party every time they i don't religion. know break into somebody's oh, yeah. house who was actually yeah religious you know just it it you can take a lot from history our history uh they've never gotten a full-out war i don't know mm. if you want them to go to war and unfortunately the question asker oh i'm so sorry i did not tell you guys who asked these questions the first appointment was from dm rachel k who we have heard from before and the second appointment was from zach p so for for this kind of setup the changing the laws to affect the enemy faction whatever that may be so making laws in the elven kingdom that affect the dwarven king that would affect dwarven kingdom members in the dwarven faction making you know anti-magic mm -hmm. laws to affect you know the the elven culture things like that would really help show that these two don't like each other having you know specific rules that don't like each other depending on what races your characters decide to be will actually help dictate that because if your elven culture is very elven focused like it's got humans and halflings and gnomes and stuff mixed in but there are no dwarves over there and then you've got your dwarven culture that's all mixed in humans and halflings and gnomes and but no elves and then you have the issue of dealing with half elves in both societies you know what what is it like being a half elf in the elven society what's it like being a half elf in the dwarven society where they're, they're butting heads so much and then you can have smaller factions of people who like ran away from the elven kingdom because they don't like it or ran away from the dwarven kingdom because they you know they're magic users mm -hmm. and they can't live there and so now they're living in this enemy kingdom because they don't have any other choices i would pick um mm -hmm. I, I i like the idea of them sort of leaning towards dictatorships mm -hmm. at least for the elven kingdom i think that would work better of them you know iron fist you know talking like posters and constant like propaganda um, propaganda Propaganda is huge. Propaganda about why the Elven Kingdom is terrible, or why the, the Dwarven Kingdom is terrible. And then it's very um, World War II, I was gonna say Cold, uh, War. Cold War style mm. with Berlin. With 
with having Berlin be half of Berlin is capitalistic, half of Berlin isn't. And you can see how half one half of Berlin is like falling apart. And then you've got the other half of Berlin that's very, um, you know, lively and up together. And that was their essential, their propaganda was look at how much better we're doing with our, you know, democracy or whatever, whichever side you want to be, the doing better side. And then you can have the other side who is suffering more from the war, even though they both are suffering. Like, both of them are suffering in different ways. One of them just appears and, to be... And it doesn't... Well, you don't even necessarily have to do that, because... Okay, so let's say you do have the Dwarvish one, maybe, like you said, on the surface, looking good um, monetarily, just slightly better... But like you said, they have such. But then you've got hmm? the secret police running around, like the you know the red yes. skin. You had all the secret police running around, yes. and getting accused left and right. Like I mean, things were going wrong on the U.S. side. It just wasn't as, it wasn't like economically right. wrong. Versus when you were dealing with the Cold War in Russia, economically things were going wrong, but people were still fairly banding together. But the problem is they were banding against their government. The government well, I, I also was going to say. Um having the magic be illegal that's huge imagine a bunch of people having to run from the dwarven society going over to this you know spell casting society but they still won't quite fit because they're not going to be upper crust and they're still going to be poor but you know they're poor and free to practice magic yeah. yeah immigrant stories really work for settings like this where you can't show an active battle or an active conflict but you can hear immigrants from both sides telling you what was wrong with the other side because i think a big thing for me and beth you kind of just touched on this is we don't hear about the bad things that are happening in our country during a war or at least that's not what media wants us to hear because we want to you know support the war effort mm -hmm. so who cares what we're doing that's wrong this is what they're doing wrong this is why should we we should oppose them they are the enemy yeah so getting the they are the enemy talk from both sides will help your party understand why each one is going after the other. Additionally, these these laws, these harsher dictates and laws and, and more propaganda are going to be seen on the edges of these communities. So like, especially if these two nations share a border this is where you're going to be seeing a lot of that crackdown. It's going to be where a lot of your immigrants are, is right along that edge of the border. And then when you head to the capitals or away from these borders, you're going to have people who believe the propaganda more and also don't know very much about the other country mm -hmm. aside from the propaganda. So you're mm -hmm. going to, it's going to be a complete like change in tonality the closer you, the farther mm -hmm. away from these borders you get. Um Weirdly, Hell's Moving Castle, I think, did a pretty good job of doing. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna bring that <laughs> of, up, Tasha. Of uh, uh, it all in the background, but you totally got that two sides were having this this big conflict. Mm -hmm. I was thinking when you guys started talking about the propaganda, I was thinking about the boy on the street during the party, like the big war. Like, oh God. like the ticker tape party where there's like confetti going around, but it's not confetti. It's propaganda pages that are being dropped yeah. by either, you know, a boy walking down the street who got paid to throw flyers around or by an enemy warship that passes overhead and drops mm -hmm. propaganda on the streets. And it's just totally do all of that with magic. Like, absolutely. Magic is totally doable. The one thing I recommend, though, is not making the Dwarven culture completely anti-magic. Give them something like uh, alchemy or, or artificers or something like Science, science magic 
because that way they have some kind of magic that they're using because it is really hard, like really, really, really hard to be an anti-magic society and fight against a magic society because magic has such a huge advantage. So you need to give them some kind of techno magic advantage. And you know, she's gone. Artificers and alchemists, like they're totally cool with yeah. that. But I agree with what you were saying. Well, you need the tech magic. You need alchemy runes. Um, other sort of imbuing items with magic, because otherwise you can't have, you know, war. You know, the mages are just gonna roll over the other side if you don't give them some sort of magic or technology that can be the equivalent of, uh, whatever they can spell sling. Although that does provide you with a little bit of a plot point, where you could, if if the mages, the elves, are really outnumbering and outmaneuvering the dwarves a good question would be well what are the dwarves resorting to to combat that what dark deep secrets do the dwarves have what is their bunker what is their i'm just i'm loving how we're going back to it it just reminds me of dragon age and like them doing the golem project oh i don't remember Uh, i don't know that part of of a dlc Um, you had to go find the original king and he turned himself into a golem oh. because he was forging all these golems out of the prisoners. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. I would be wary of specifically golem creation. Well, War just Forge. because... Mm-hmm. Well, Warforge would work. Yes. I don't know. I just feel like a, it, a lot of man. use of religious... Fair. It's, it's a known thing within... I... Um, d it's like kind of separated now but i understand here's the problem here here here's here's my disclaimer D was written by cishet white dudes in the 80s. that took a lot of uh in the 80s and it's not just the D folks it's not just the wizards folks who who are writing because i think i'm hope they're a lot better now but like a lot of fantasy has been taking you know the stories and the culture of many peoples and twisting them into fantasy something unreal something unhuman and so my issue with using Gollum specifically probably just stems from me having learned a lot about jewish culture within the last few months to try and understand why it's a problematic issue you're not i'm not asking everybody to go do their research although it wouldn't hurt um just you know if you have folks in your party who are more i don't want to say sensitive that sounds demeaning now but who might be a little bit more reluctant to use Mm. fantasy elements that stem from the warping of their or their loved one's culture Mm -hmm. i would just talk to them or honestly or make it open for the party members to talk to you about it if it's something that they would like you to change because there are spells and monsters and artifacts that have that essentially were just like, oh, that's a fun word. Let's use that. Or I know very little about the subject, but that sounds neat. Let's do that. And they don't, right. they, none of the research was put into it and it became like integral mm. to D&D lore. Yeah. And I'm not asking DMs to go and do all of their own research and all the nitty gritty. Just, you know, remember that it, it could be sensitive topics for people yeah. who are playing I mean, or who are also big... DMing in your group. Sorry, I was just, just going to the... say about Wendigos are the same oh yeah oh gosh Mm -hmm. yes sorry this turned into a a discussion about cultural sensitivity and awareness but i think it's an important one yeah um especially if you're dealing in a 
war campaign mm -hmm. where two cultures are not going to like each other very much. You're going to need, it, depending on how in nitty gritty you want to get with this, what are their horrible slang Ooh. words for the other society? Oh, gosh. Stuff like that. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's going to be really imbued into the society because they've been fed this propaganda their whole life about why the other society is wrong. So those words won't seem like bad words to them because that's what everyone says. Why don't you just make your whole campaign about cultural yeah. awareness and emotional intelligence? Okay. All right. Well, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. If you or your fellow players want some advice from the doctors, you can always submit them to DearDrDM at gmail.com. Doctor is spelled out, so that's D-E-A-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-D-M at gmail.com. We are still working on getting our voices to more platforms, but you can always find us on Spotify and Anchor as Dr. DM. Uh, leave a like, leave a comment, and please, please share with mm. your friends. We also mm. now have a Twitter handle. It's at dear underscore doctor underscore DM. Doctor, once again, is still spelled out. So yeah, dear Dr. DM at Twitter. We will take questions from there, from the Gmail, from if you know us personally, you can text them in. We really don't care, but we are not giving our phone numbers out on the air. Um, and with see that, ya. we will see you all in two weeks. Bye. Luck, Beth. Bye, guys. See you soon. Bye. Yep. And the doctors are out. <laughs> <laughs>